if you're here for the first, second, or third time, and you've got that card with 45 blanks in it, and you're thinking, I can't get that filled out before the basket passes me, don't worry about it. As you head out today, there's going to be a table on your right with some really nice people. We've got a gift for you. You matter to us, this place, and you made this place matter to you today. So we want to say thanks in a candy-filled way with a mug or a t-shirt, depending on whether it's not it's your first, second, or third time here. So we've been in the book of Habakkuk for the last four weeks. For some of you, it'll be the most exciting four weeks you ever spend in the book of Habakkuk and have ever spent in the book of Habakkuk, present company included. Uh, and we've learned a bunch of things. Today, we're going to look at the whole idea of worship and living our whole life under God's presence and fueled by God's presence uh, as he runs us. And we're going to talk about some things about how we worship God, not just through singing, but also through reading our Bibles, through prayer. Uh, I hate messages where it's just like, hey, go do this or go live this out without actually giving you any tangible ways to do it. So as we talk about shape journaling and reading our Bible and being honest with God through journaling, you can get all that information about shape journaling uh, at mountainview.org. That's our website. It's on the back of the white paper. Uh, and if you want to grow more in prayer, uh, it's Sunday mornings at 845. That's before the first service. We've got a prayer meeting where Pastor Greg and other people lead us through prayer in a way that's well-led, in a way that's loving, in a way that lifts up Jesus. So I would encourage you to join any of those. Another way that we worship God is in baptism. We're going to have a baptism next week. It's going to be awesome. I'm stoked. Uh, and if you want to get baptized the second, Saturday, second Sunday in October, we do it the second Sunday of each month. Talk to me after today. We can get you locked and loaded for October. So that's worship. And what we're going at in Habakkuk right now is we're kind of following the, the emotions that he has through this whole book. It starts out bad and it ends really good. And through that, God is pulling Habakkuk toward him. Even in the midst of everything that God does that Habakkuk disapproves of, Habakkuk continues to get pulled toward God in his emotions. And football started this week for college, next week for pro. I love this time of the year. Uh, and football reminds me of worshiping God, okay? We all, like, know people or live this ourselves where we have our team, all right? You got your team that you want to lose. You have a list, or you have your team you want to win. You have a list of teams that you want to lose. For mine, it's USC. They won yesterday, but not by enough to make me happy, so I'm still not happy. That's how much of a fan I am. Uh, but in football, we lose the, the craziness of what goes on, okay? Football for college started yesterday, which means we've got like 18 to 22-year-olds. A decade years ago, the, or a decade ago, these kids were in elementary school, and now they are as big as a car and can bench press your house while running faster than anyone you know. All, right, all of this is wrapped up into the same person. And, oh, you throw into that that you have to throw an irregularly shaped ball through a window that is tiny while you're getting laid out by somebody who is equally as big as you are. The, f the fact that football happens performed by freaks of nature making it all be amazing on TV and in person is incredible. The fact that people can do what they do and we're just like, oh, well, my team still stinks. I still hate that quarterback and this coach is still garbage. Like we miss out on how incredible it is that people can actually play this game and throw this ball and kick that thing that's supposed to go through the uprights, but with kickers, it never, ever works out because kickers are like scared cats and run away from difficult situations. If you want a job where you can be 30% successful in life, become a kicker. And, uh, and that's how it is with kickers and people who drive other fans nuts. But in this, like in watching football, we get so wrapped up in our team and the score and the way things are going that we forget just how insane it is that this is actually happening, that these players are actually doing what they're doing. And what we're going to look at today with Habakkuk is where he moves beyond that, 
where he's not just stuck in what's going on, where God actually pulls him to who he is, to who God is. And Habakkuk not just worships God horizontally for the things that, that God has done that Habakkuk can see in his life, but worships God vertically for the person that God is. And so today we're looking at living by faith in honest worship because for all of us, for this idea of worshiping God to leave this room and go home with you means that there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be real life that happens and we are called to worship God even through the real life. We see that in Habakkuk. Verse 2 of the, of the way that the book all starts is something's going on. God's people that Habakkuk is part of has absolutely ditched God. And Habakkuk cries out to God and says, I want you to fix this. From the very beginning, Habakkuk is being honest with God. And we, through this, that we see this through his honest encounter with God. Habakkuk has moved from frustration to validation to worship. From frustration to validation to worship. We get the idea of Habakkuk complaining to God. And I think part of us thinks, well, that, that can't be right. Like God must be offended at the way that Habakkuk is talking to him. And it's not at all the case. Not at all. Because God is bigger than us. Just as the way that we can push other people away with our emotions and with our bad days, we are never going to push God away. This is the comfort of the book of Habakkuk, where it starts out with, with him saying, God, you're missing this. You have messed up. You need to start things over again. And there's no point in the book where Habakkuk tells God, or God tells Habakkuk, how about you just settle down? Stop coming to me all emotionally raw. How about you deal with your stuff and you come talk to me nicely? We don't see that. Instead, what we see is Habakkuk validated and, and Habakkuk moving into worship. He calls out honestly to God, this is what I see that's going on and it doesn't seem right. And in his honesty, God blesses him. God draws him near. I think that's a big hurdle for us to get over is that in our untamed, emotionally raw craziness, what goes on inside of us, that we can actually go to God with that and say, God, this is happening. This doesn't feel right. This is upsetting me. And God's like, not whoa, just, just calm down. God doesn't say that to us. God draws us near to him even when we're going emotionally crazy. And what it does is it opens our heart to the bigness of God as we are honest with him. Because if we're not honest with God and we feel like we have to sanitize everything when we come to him, there are three things that are going to happen. The first of those is that we can't honestly worship God. We can't worship God if we feel like everything needs to be calm inside of us when we come to him. When we, feel, when we face fear and frustration and defeat and doubt and we bring those emotions and that part of our life to God, we find out how absolutely huge God really is in life. It's kind of like going on vacation, okay? Nobody here goes on vacation to Delano, I'm guessing, right? That's not really high on your list. You want to go on somewhere to vacation, typically you go to the coast. I love going to the coast because you can stick your feet in that freezing cold water that somehow my kids don't feel because I don't think your body absorbs freezing cold water until like age nine. That's why there's always little kids playing in the stinking cold water. But I like to go in about to my ankles without a wetsuit because I'm a wuss. Tell your friends. But you stand in that absolutely arctic freezing cold water and you look west there is nothing but water, like forever. At the end of that is Japan, okay? You can't get there on a blow-up raft with a Walmart paddle in a day, all right? 
That is forever away. The largest thing on our planet is the Pacific Ocean. You go to the beach, you stand in there, and you look, and all of a sudden you feel really small. Right? Nobody stands in the Pacific Ocean looking at how big it is, looking at how huge God created it, and thinks, man, I got a 2% raise this year. I am awesome. I know God created all this, but 2%, me? Yeah, look at that, God. 2%. Pacific Ocean, that's big, but me, 2%, God. No, we don't think that. We think this thing is massive. This is a picture of how big God is. This is a picture of what happens when we bring God our defeat, when we bring God the honesty of what's really going on in our heart, is we don't encounter God and find out how much bigger our problems are than him. We encounter God in the Pacific Ocean sense of it, where we're standing in this thing that we will never be able to see the other side of. And when that's when... That's when we meet God in worship. We're not being honest with God. We're not telling God everything that's going on in our lives. We can't worship God. Second thing that happens is people can't love you for who you really are. Man, you can't be honest with God so you won't be honest with other people. We convince ourselves, we let doubt and fear and condemnation convince us that if people really knew the real me, they would never love me. And the more often we are honest with people, we find out that as people get to know the real us, that they love us for who we are. And on top of that, that a lot of the problems that we're experiencing, other people are experiencing. But if we're never honest with God, we're not going to be honest with other people and we never give others the opportunity to love us for who we really are. We are walking ourselves out to loneliness as we refuse to be honest with God and honest with other people. The third thing that happens is the cross loses its meaning in life because what we're doing is we're trying to condense all of our life and all of the defeat and darkness and stuff that we don't want other people to know about. We're trying to handle that on our own and we're prohibiting the person who can actually do something about it, Jesus, from coming to deal with the sins and deal with the defeat that he's already paid the price for, but now he needs to deal with, that, deal with it inside of us. The cross loses its meaning because we are trying to prop ourselves up as our own savior to pay for and manage our own sins. And that nullifies the work of the cross. That nullifies Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. We're honest with God. And that brings in the victory of the cross into our lives because there's real sin in our lives that Jesus really paid for. And the effects of that, the blessing of that can really get poured into us. That means that God can deal with our bad days. That means that God can deal with our emotions when they're all over the place. God created them. God understands them. And as we worship God in honesty, what we're going to find out is that Pacific Ocean moment, how big God is in relationship to how small we are. And so worship is an attitude that's turned into action. The book of Habakkuk is similar to the book of Job. They both start uh, with, with something bad happening, with God's people running away in Habakkuk. And, and in Job, a bunch of tragedies happen to him and his family. And in Job, the next 36 chapters are Job and his friends arguing about how much God went to sleep at the wheel. And in 37, God shows up and he says, okay, Job, I've got some questions for you. Brace yourself like a man. It's coming. And so God goes after Job with question after question. Where were you when this happened? Can you explain dinosaurs to me? I want answers, Job. If you know everything, I want answers. And Job's response at the end of it is a response of worship he says man God now I know that nothing can stop you I know that you are absolutely 
unstoppable. It's an action of worship. It's an, it's an expression of what's gone on in his heart, what's got him to that point. And for us in worship, we're singing our, we're singing our theology. We're putting our voices behind the attitudes of our heart. We're giving action to what goes on in our heart. And so, so far today, we've declared what we believe about God. We've declared that Jesus is here to heal our brokenness, that when we ask him to do this, that he's going to be faithful, that he's rescued us for the sake of our freedom, that our brokenness is restored through God's grace, poured out over us through Jesus' death and resurrection, and that that changes every part of our life to the point that nothing in all creation, in earth or under the earth, can stop God's love for us and care for us. I don't know if you believe that, but you've already sang that here. We're giving action to the attitudes of our heart that there is nothing that can separate us from God's amazing power to not just show us love, but to show us from the inside of us how much he loves us and wants to run our lives. And the thing about this is, this is just kind of, we're all in this together, but we unintentionally, because we've got a clock in our heads that tells us when it's time to move up, we rush worship. We rush worship. It's kind of like, like having a staring contest with someone, especially if you don't know them. Like, try this out sometime. It's really, really weird. But there's a point where like, eye contact is just too long. There's a point where you like, turn your head away because it's just awkward to stare at someone for like a minute and a half. Like, that gets really, really weird. With God, God is inviting us to stare at him, to stare in amazement. And there's something inside of us that says, okay, now that's enough. With worship, like we are pre-positioned, like we've got a timer inside of us that after a certain amount of songs, we're ready to move on. That's part of us culturally. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. This is who we are. We've got a clock that's ticking inside of us. And we try to rush it unnecessarily for two reasons that aren't at all cultural. They're more spiritual for us. The first one of those that we try to rush worship is we feel like we're not good enough. We think about reading our Bibles. We think about raising our hands in church. We think about, about singing out louder, about the, the song is moving me. I'm going to sing loud. I'm going to come to church today. I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. Whatever the thing is that we say, we're going to step into worshiping God where we are just in God, God's presence, enjoying him. And that voice inside of our head tells us, you're going to go to church after you did this this weekend, after you used those words with this person, after you looked at that website. You're going to go to church? You're going to lift your hands in worship? You can't do that. You're not good enough. Okay, here's what the Bible actually says about that. Throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, the resounding message about you and I not being good enough, it is a million percent true. Okay, we are not good enough. None of us walks into a relationship with God because God looked at us and said, dang, I want that person on my team. No, we are sinners in need of a savior. And the part that drives God nuts isn't when, we're at our isn't when we're at our worst. It's when we think that we are at our best. When we have convinced ourselves that it is our own righteousness, it is our own good deeds that bring God, lucky God, into relationship with us. 
The truth of this is that the cross of Jesus is God screaming to the universe that we were never good enough, but God in his mercy, in his grace that we didn't deserve, and in his all-out unstoppable love for you and me, God took on human flesh, became the person of Jesus, lived a sinless life so that on the cross a trade happens because we're not good enough. Jesus absorbs our not good enough. Jesus absorbs our sin. Jesus absorbs our addiction. Jesus absorbs our fear and our lack of faith. And we get his perfection. We get his good enough. We are not good enough. That's how we start, but we do not end there. When we come into worship We come through the blood of Jesus, which is God inviting us into worship. We can now stand before God. God cannot be in the presence of sin, so how do we get there? We get there because our lives have been purchased by Jesus. So when God looks at you and me, God no longer sees sinner. God no longer sees fear. God no longer sees addict. God no longer sees whatever label we could put on ourselves other than son or daughter of God. We begin by being not good enough. And then we experience the cleansing and the washing of Jesus and his blood over our lives to forgive us of sin and change us into a new person. That voice that says we're not good enough, that is not God because God does not finish the sentence there. He says, you were once not good enough, but you have been cleansed, you have been made holy, you've been brought into relationship because of who Jesus is, not because of ourselves. The second problem, the second issue that we rush worship is the opposite. We think we don't need it. This is for those of you who have done church your whole life, and yeah, church is important and your body is here, but your heart is still asleep at home because we think we don't need it. We've lost the fact of our own lostness, who we were before Jesus. We've gotten to the point where we know when to sit down, we know when to stand up, we know what greetings to say to people. You know how to raise your hands just high enough that you look spiritual. You know how to sign up for the right life group and how to show up without bringing your heart to actually be vulnerable before people. We think that we don't need it anymore. And what God wants to say to us is not that our desires are are too strong for other things, but that our desire for him is too weak. It's gotten too weak to the point that we just go through the motions. He's saying, I want to revive you. I want to bring that part of you back to life. Remind you of God's goodness and how there's no way that we could ever hollow out that well to dig down to the deepest part of who Jesus is and the way that he wants to revolutionize our lives. We're never going to dig all the way down and come back and say, okay, God didn't have enough for me but to remind us that our idea that we don't need it, we don't need to to let God run us even in our honesty and in our vulnerability that we don't need that. And so Habakkuk has figured these two things out. We usually read the scripture at the beginning and then start working through it and everything, but I want to build us up to, to this idea of just sitting in God's presence. We are not good enough. Jesus makes us good enough. Jesus makes us beyond good enough. We are accepted as sons and daughters. Regardless of how long you've been in church, how long you've heard the good news about Jesus, that it's fresh for us every day. And to get that idea in our hearts and now read our passage for today. And as we read it, this is Habakkuk telling God how amazing he is. 
You can close your eyes. You can put your hands out like you're receiving something from God. You can sit. You can kneel. You can do whatever you want. But this is us as a church worshiping God. And the great thing about this, about what Habakkuk does here, is it's a million percent transferable. It's not just Habakkuk saying, God, thank you for all these things that you've done thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away. He's speaking directly to God about God's attributes, about God's character, about who God is. And that's where God wants to meet us today. After this, we're going to close with communion. Communion is our custom as Christians to worship God. We're not doing communion because after this, we're going to go out inspired to live a different life. We're doing this straight out. Worship the Jesus who came to die for us because God wanted a relationship with us. It's vertical worship to God. So Habakkuk 3, verse 2. It says, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Huron. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Skip to 13. You went out to rescue your chosen people and to save your anointed ones. That's us. You crushed the head of the wicked and you stripped their bones from head to toe. That's God defeating everything that fights against our relationship with him. Think about that, you. Where you are now, the things that prevent you from a stronger relationship with God, that's a picture of God coming to do battle against those things. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking that you and I would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. And even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to trend upon the heights. That's God's love poured out for us in a way that's going to pull us back to God, not because of what he's done that we can see, but because of who he is. And I love that this week, that, that all of that, all of Habakkuk sharing about God's goodness in his character, not just in his actions, comes from a man who starts out the whole book complaining and saying, God, you have fallen asleep at the wheel. What this shows us is even through whatever imaginable emotional state we can bring into this equation, God says even in that, I want your heart. I want relationship with you. Through your pain, through your darkness, through your defeat, you can bring those things to me. You can bring those to me because the cross is heavy enough to carry them. The cross honestly reminds us of who we are and invites us into worship. Again, communion is our custom of remembering and worshiping Jesus for who he is, that he's the savior who comes to save the unsavable, and that's us. That when we bring our lives forward to drink of the body 
or drink of, of the cup which invites us into relationship with him, to eat the bread which symbolizes Jesus' body, which absorbed our sins and then was given over as, as an offering to God. We're doing this out of worship today. We're doing this to remember and reflect on Jesus who gave his life for us. And that's how we're going to close. We're going to worship. We're going to remember Jesus. And we're doing it as a way of connecting with God. We're not doing it so we can go out and do something else. We're just going to sit here in this attitude of worship, in this moment of worship. And we're going to encounter our God who loves us. So let's stand let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that in all of everything that we bring into the equation that makes it, that could make it difficult for you to love us. God, you love us anyway. You love us in our fear. You love us in our doubt. You love us in our pain. You love us in the things that we can't get over. You love us in that, and you're calling us to live for you. You're calling us to fresh obedience. With your heads down and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to change you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you, I want to give you that chance today. You are not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that together we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, if today's your day to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand, and as we close, somebody's going to lead you through giving your life to Jesus. So one, God loves you. He always has, he always will, and today he's calling you and all your stuff into relationship with him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we say, God, I've got this. Go away, I'm doing this my way. That's called sin, and that separates us from God. And Jesus came to end that separation. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. I'm ready to begin that relationship. Is there anyone like that? Where today's your day to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's going to pray with you. It'll be the best decision you could ever make. All right, again, the communion is up here. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is our moment of worship. This is our act of worship this morning. To remember and, and praise the God who loves us and the Jesus who died for us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to wait uh, to take this until you've made the decision to believe in Jesus. And if you want to do that today, you can talk to anyone on stage. We'd love to help you with that. So let's worship and respond.